you want to be a good company officer, good chief officer, your interview for that chief officer or company officer position started the day you walked in the door as a firefighter, because people are going to watch how you followed what you did when the boss wasn't looking. They'll know who you are for real. Good afternoon and welcome everybody to the kitchen table. In this podcast, we sit down with guests that have real and honest conversations to talk all things leadership. We call it the kitchen table because we know some of the best conversations at the firehouse take place at the kitchen table. And the goal today is to focus that kitchen table energy into talking leadership. I'm your host, Berlin Maza. And today our guest comes with 38 years in the fire service, working directly for 11 different agencies in three different states. He started his career as a paid call firefighter in 1984 in Tulare County, California. He worked for a number of different agencies between 1984 and 1989, when he was hired by the city of Clovis, California, working his way up through all the ranks. Our guest today has been a fire chief and or interim fire chief for six different agencies, has worked 14 years as a peer assessor for the Commission on Fire Accreditation International, and eight years as a consultant working primarily with fire and EMS agencies. Fast forwarding many years, our guest was recruited by the fire chief from the Redmond Fire Department to come up and help with their strategic planning and standards of cover plan, but at this time is an interim deputy chief. The supposed contract of 90 days has transformed into more than two years, and the chief today is having the time of his life with the Redmond team. Our guest, father of twins, son is a paramedic with an ambulance company in California, and about a month away from his new job as a firefighter paramedic with an agency near Lake Tahoe. His daughter is a mental health counselor in Lincoln, Nebraska, working for a private practice. And the chief has two grandkids that are still young enough to think he is super cool. <laughs> so I'm honored today to welcome Fire Chief Michael Despain on the kitchen table. Good yeah. afternoon, Chief. Thank you for being on the show today. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great, Berlin. Thank you so much for the invite. Appreciate it. Of course. Well, um, with that, I will start off with, uh, let's start off by thanking Lieutenant Eric Rossoff of the Career Survival Group. Um, he was on the show a few months back and... Um, if I briefly described uh, to you, maybe in a previous email, is it's the leadership challenge. And uh, we do this leadership challenge at the end of the episode where we challenge uh, the guest of the day and they throw out a name for us. And so here we are. He challenged yourself, uh, Chief. And uh, I will say that, that uh, that's to the success of the podcast is, is exactly this, right? We're only here today uh, because someone wanted to recommend another leader out there, fire service or not to come share a leadership message philosophy uh, for our listeners to tune in and, uh, you know, just to connect, you know, wherever they're at. So thank you again so much. Now, uh, because there's an extensive history that I fast forward completely over because I felt like it was a little more appropriate for you to share. So before we get started into this uh, highly anticipated leadership conversation today, would you mind sharing a little bit about Chief to Spain before we get going, whether it be career, fire service, hobbies, family, and anything you'd like to share? Sure. Um, I'll kind of make it short because it's a little complex to try and go through all of it. But I, what, what I'll say is that uh, I was very fortunate that I kind of fell into this job. I had no understanding of what this was. I, I just, fire service was not a concept for me when I was coming up through uh, high school and my early adulthood. I thought I was going to go into law enforcement and I actually did work for uh, the sheriff's office in Tulare County for a little bit. But then I did get a chance to do a little bit of volunteer work and I loved it. And I caught the bug 
bad uh, in the sense that I got paid to be a police officer, law enforcement officer. And it cost me money to be a firefighter, but I like the <laughs> firefighter job more. So maybe that was just a uh, happenstance. Uh, God was looking out for me. So that's how I kind of got in there. And I was fortunate. I had uh, some some mentors that you know kind of took me under their wing early on and helped me out. And so my career path has been very, um, it's been a great ride for me. I've been very blessed. Uh, I kind of take it to where I can to give back just like those people, uh, you know, kind of took a chance on me and helped kind of open some doors for me and took a chance on me. And so, uh, I hope I make them proud. You know, most of them are long retired by now, but that's kind of my goal. Um, but again, worked a number of agencies around, uh, California, Fresno and Clovis are the two biggest agencies that most people would know and spent most of my career as a up and coming firefighter, chief officer, fire chief in that, in those agencies. And then I retired from California in 2016, but I wasn't quite ready to sit in the rocking chair yet. And uh, I was still active with, uh, you know, the accreditation process and CPSC, those kind of things. And so um, my, then my daughter was a, uh, going to uh, looking to go to college out of state and she had a chance to look at Lincoln Nebraska while I was looking at Lincoln Nebraska and she got a very nice uh, scholarship offer to go there and she said uh, I'm going to go here whether you take a job here or not <laughs> that made nice. it easy so uh, we went to Nebraska for about four or five years had a great time uh go big red you know the huskers yep. are going to be playing UW here pretty soon so we'll I see did not that know that goes. wow all right <laughs> but I still have roots I still have a house in Nebraska I have a okay. house in California so we kind of go back and forth but long story short um I I do have my own consulting company but I don't have a website I don't even have I have Gmail I, I don't oh. even advertise it's just word of mouth but I've been in it long enough that the network's pretty pretty extensive and so I have clients all over the United States, but for the last two or three, for the last two years, a little over two years, I've been concentrating in Redmond and Redmond just uh, won my heart. Uh, it was supposed to be a 90 day contract and <laughs> it was just an interesting opportunity for me. And I think I've done a good job for them. Hopefully they, they haven't locked the door yet when right. I show up. <laughs> um, but I love the culture there and, and it's not just Redmond. I, I really kind of enjoy that Pacific Northwest, you know, King County, all the agencies, Eastside and, and Duval, Bellevue, Kirkland, just Seattle working with those agencies. It's, it's been, you know, kind of fun for me. Cause I get to do I'm really at the stage in my career where I really do like 95% of the stuff I like to do. And I do very little of the things I don't. That's a pretty good spot in life to be like retirement yeah. for me is not sitting in a rocking chair. It's just being able to do more of what you like and less of what you don't like. So yeah. that's where I'm at. So that's, that's kind of my story. And and uh, I, you know, have been there uh, just a little over two years and we're talking about extending it again. So we're going to start that negotiation. Uh, it's not a forever thing, but we're hoping that we can at least get things stable and then we want promotions internally. So that's kind of the goal with myself and, well, the other deputy chief who came from California also is just hold the fort till we have some people ready to kind of move up in the ranks and then we'll step out and Redmond yeah. will be off and running. Absolutely. Well, you mentioned mentorship, succession planning. I think that's that's what it's all about. Yeah. Uh, I mean, networking, we talked about that quite a bit on this podcast is obviously the fire service is huge in networking. And so yeah. um, that's that, that that's part of it. Uh, you mentioned culture. Uh, which I'm, we're going to get into all that. Um, one curiosity that I have is obviously you've come from Nebraska, California, and you said that you love the Pacific Northwest. I guess 
for my own curiosity, what is, uh, what's, uh, what's some major differences, uh, with fire service will say up here in the Pacific Northwest based, you know, in comparison to California? Well, I, I, I mean, the only real big difference I see between the, and I, when I say Pacific Northwest, it's really kind of King County, Seattle, maybe Spokane, but just kind of that zone is that, you know, it's, it's nice that you guys work a much shorter work week than the rest of the nation. Everybody else pretty much works a 72 or a 56 hour work week. And in, uh, to see Washington state, most agencies work about a 48. Yeah. 40, 49. Yeah. 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 And that's, I'm glad I didn't know about that when I was younger because I probably would you would have came up migrated closer yeah. up here versus work at a 56. But that's probably one of the biggest kind of you know structural differences. Other than that, uh, you know, the fire services. I can go to any fire department in the United States, and about 80 percent of it will be the same. Yeah, the 20 percent is different, and the 20 percent is very local. It's it you, you really can't say it's the region it's really by agency and it's really dictated mo- mainly by culture. Yeah. And there's agencies with healthy cultures and there's a lot of agencies with very unhealthy cultures. And oh. so I, I feel for those people because yeah. when you see, you know, the issues of mental health and those kind of things, what, what I typically see is that's almost as much of the job in the field as it is. What's the culture like what they deal with, with their, administration community and kitchen table and how they're treated and you know how they're valued in the agency and so um so the big difference for me is uh i really like the culture within redmond because i Uh think it is very healthy it's not perfect they we we still have things that we need to work on but compared to some other agencies where you know i might spend 50 percent of my time dealing with personnel issues culture issues behavior discipline grievances and just trying to put out inner internal spot fires of interpersonal skill in Redmond. That's very little of our time is that not that we don't have it, but it's it's a minor piece. The rest of it is full bore somewhere else. And that's unique for me. If I was a scientist, I would want to figure out how to bottle that up because I could make a lot of money off it on the outside. (laughs) Well, it's interesting. So uh, as one of your main topics to conversation today as we navigate down leadership importance of culture obviously i think anyone would agree right doesn't matter public sector private sector if you're talking about you know professional sports even culture is a huge piece to um, success for a high performing organization so when you talk about the importance of culture and you just mentioned you know the culture at redmond for example is it's a great culture what makes a great culture and how do you foster an environment in your eyes chief as we talk about leadership to, to foster a culture so it is a, we'll say, quote unquote, a good culture versus a not so good culture. Yeah, well, uh, Peter Drucker said that uh, culture eats strategy for breakfast. <laughs> and I, I'm i a strategist. I like developing the strategic plans and it's about alignment of uh, expectations and resources. So a good example is if you go into an agency where they haven't done a good job of aligning say a strategic plan where mission, vision, values, and, and, and outcomes are lined out. Everybody has a different expectation. Some people feel like, well, we need to go more left and admin wants to go more right. And then they, they, they have conflict. If you kind of work from the beginning, then everybody's in alignment. And the agreement is that we may not agree on everything. It's not like 
every single thing we're ever going to agree on. But I can tell you this, the strategic plan that we did in Redmond, we had a hundred percent agreement from labor management mm -hmm. and we brought in members of the community. So there's a synergy there that everybody knows that this isn't everything we're going to do, but everything in this plan is something that we have fingerprints from everybody that says, yeah, that's what we want to do. Yeah. So there's, there's a synergy and there's like momentum. That's what um, because we didn't go down a path and go, wait, we're not going to do that. And then back, back up. And that was a waste of time, energy, and money to go down there and go somewhere else. So that's one. But I would also caution people that that's not the answer to culture. And you don't, you can change culture very quickly, but I've only seen it change quickly with a line of duty death or a significant near miss line of duty death, yep. something like that. Something Otherwise, it's a very slow process, good or bad, and you yeah. choose which direction you want to go. Yeah. So the strategic plan did not make cul the culture in Redmond good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What it did was I would just say whatever culture you're in, it'll move it in the right direction. It'll help move it in the right direction, but they are baby steps. But if over time, and you think about it, if you come to work and you have a pit in your stomach, are you going to give your best at work or mm -hmm. are you going to be... Some people like, I'm just going to show up, do my hours and go home. And we become mercenaries. Yes. And uh, whereas when people say, no, I really care about the community. I really, I want to advocate for people. I want to advocate for my crew. I want to make sure they're happy and healthy, not just performance wise, but just kind of in general health and wellness that changes how people's perspective and when they come to work and, you know, I'm not a brain scientist, but I've done some study on this. I mean, when people are happy, there's something like 30% better at whatever they do. They become 30% yeah. smarter. Yeah. They, so you want to make your organization smarter, make them happy. Yep. And, and, and that's not give them everything they want. There's sometimes we got to say no, but it's not no. Cause I said, no, it's no, because remember this plan we worked on and we all yeah. agreed on it. Can we, can we just continue with that? And they see that it's not everything they want, but tomorrow is going to be a little bit better than today. And the next day is going to be a little bit better. And that day, that's a pretty powerful force once it gets going. Yeah. So, yeah momentum. Where does that, mentioned, uh, uh, Eric Rossoff with career survival yeah. group. Um, you know, I've known Eric for a long time. I brought them into every agencies I've ever worked with. We brought them into Redmond many times they're, they're coming back in October. Yes, so if you are, want to yeah. see them in October, let us know. We'll, we'll yep. sneak in. Um, but that, but what Eric does is purposely, to help move the culture in the right direction in a very firefighter friendly way that in other methods of trying to get behavior and diversity and all these other things we talk about leadership wise, if they don't come from a point of credibility, it actually does more harm than good in my experience. Mm -hmm. So when we brought Eric in that and, and career survival, we we've brought other people, but just as an example is, we spend money. We have line item money that we put in, I think almost a hundred thousand dollars for this next budget specifically mm -hmm. for leadership that helps change culture. That's how important it is. Well, I, uh, I will say this and uh, I, I don't even know if I told you this. Um, so you guys brought in Benjamin Martin. Um, Benjamin back, Martin, yeah. yeah. Uh, oddly enough, I don't know if I told you this. He was on our show back in, uh, back in June. And, uh, I'm remembering that <laughs> I attended that uh, over at ribbon fire. And then with Eric coming, because Eric was supposed to, correct me if I'm wrong, was supposed to be there this week. It was supposed to be this week, but then the closure of the of the road. Yeah, we had to push it back till October due to the 
closure of Woodwind, yeah. uh, Woodenville Duval Road and just yeah. the traffic and trying to get crews back and forth and the PCERN yeah. radio update. So, yes, yeah. that's right. So um, I, that, that's interesting because uh, when I went over there, I was talking to an individual um, from Redmond and they said that, uh, yeah, we, we, we bring in, I think it's twice a year that you guys do this. Essentially, you bring in a guest speaker, you host a class, a workshop, a four-day class, whatever it may be, and it's leadership training. And as I look at it, it's uh, an example that I gave uh, was back four years ago. And I, there was a leadership class, if you will, that our agency provided for, for uh, some of our members. And I wasn't going to go. I had a new assignment in the training division, and I didn't want to bail on my new assignment training division for a week for this training. And then one of my mentors says, no, go to this leadership class. And I'm like, well, I, you know, I just got you guys. No, you don't know how fortunate you are that your agency is going to pay you to go to this leadership training for a week. Not every agency does that. Yeah. And so you're sitting here telling me that part of that culture change and, or, or, or having a great culture is, is putting money behind intentional training or leadership, right? It's not going right. to happen by accident. So I love that piece. If I can ask, like where uh, in, in Chief of Spain's eyes, where does that culture change start? The start at the top, the start at the bottom, start in the middle, start everywhere. Well, it, you know, culture is a, it's like an accumulation of everyone's views kind of crammed together. So it's, it's a little bit of an amoeba, but I would say if you want to have cultural change, it really comes from the leadership and the leadership's not always the fire chief, mm -hmm. fire chief's important, but you have vocal members within your agency that can influence it good or bad. And I can, I can tell you, labor groups that are just absolutely horrendous to work with selfish sure. just the the difference between them and a cartel is just the degree of violence <laughs> that they'll right. they'll go to right and i can tell you labor groups and those those vocal minority mm -hmm. that are absolutely straight shooters want to do the best they have a heart they have servant hearts on what they want to do so all the all the systems are in place in every single agency, but it's really finding those people and creating that spark. But if you want to start from the beginning, it has to do with a chief or chief officers or leadership that recognize that it's a long process to change culture, but today's the best day to start. And that means hire good people and keep good people and invest in good people. Yeah. And once you get those people moved up in the ranks, that'll create the culture and it'll kind of continue on itself. So Again, does it change in a day? Right. But it doesn't take thirty years to change the culture. Right. Um, if if you're if you're specific about it, but um, I know agencies where, and you, the, the listeners probably know this. There's agencies where they may not do the best screening on applicants. They screen them for how much experience they have and how well they fight fire. And I would just say. <laughs> You're, you're not that those aren't important things to grade for, but they should be the minimum yes. you grade for. Yes. I would be grading for, do they, what's their emotional intelligence? Oh, you know, what's their ability to kind of work with people and just be a team player and like be a servant and care for other people. And then we'll bring the skills up yes. where, where we can. Uh, and then those people will attract that same type of people. And the people that are the pills, they can't get traction because they want to try and gripe and complain and there's just no one listening to him because everybody else has a different mindset and then the chief doesn't i mean the behavior in the station is organic you know people come yeah. together and they genuinely care but you have people that probably were officers and said one day you weren't and one day you were and they go hey here you go good luck and there was yep. like no training there was no yep. academy they didn't have good role models on the way in they don't have 
mentors while they're there where can, can I phone a friend? Yeah, right. And yeah. so if you are serious about changing the culture, it's a multifaceted piece, but it starts today and it's going to be grinding for a while. Yep. But the investment is worth 10 times uh, yes. what it is if you don't do it. Oh, I totally agree. And I wasn't going to get this till later, but uh, you opened it up. So I'm just going to go there. So you mentioned looking for individuals. Now, this could be in new hires. This could also be in the individuals you promote today or even the individuals that you choose to you know, move up in the organization, right? You mentioned emotional intelligence, servant leaders, skills later. Obviously, highly important, but we don't. And I apologize if I'm, I'm speaking holistically, which maybe this is not everywhere, but this is just, you know, for the sake of the conversation, we don't, you know, seek emotional intelligence or servant leaders in our hiring processes, right? We ask questions that are not related to those things, but we recognize those are important. Why do we not ask these questions or look for these in our hiring or promotional processes? Well, I think sometimes we get so busy with day-to-day work that we can't get our head above the water to go look at what's coming or what's, you know, get out and about and network. And a, a good example is when we look at like how we recruit and hire, and we're not perfect at, we're, we have a whole committee, we're working on it and we're grinding off this strategic plan piece by piece. But a good example, and I'll just use this for example, is that we, for many agencies, they will still do things like uh, all this screening to get a candidate in. So they'll do like the CPAT, the candidate physical ability testing. And that's a pricey, sometimes intimidating process, right? But we designed it back in the day when you when you yes. applied and you had uh, 10 openings and you had 5,000 people lined up for those 10 openings. And you can't interview 5,000 people. It right. just, it would take forever. So you use screening mechanisms to screen them out. Like go get a firefighter one from a community college or get some basic training, get an EMT, go through CPAT, go through whatever. And you would filter that down hopefully what was the better candidates. And then you'd, you'd interview 500 instead of 5,000. You're like, okay, right. that's manageable. Well, that's not where we are today. Yeah. Where today is you have 10 openings and you have a hundred people apply. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, do. So, I do. So now we don't need that screening mechanism as much. I still, I'm, I'm not saying throw it out. It's not yeah. what I'm saying, but I'll just use an example at an agency I worked at before where they did their own CPAT and it was pricey. I mean, it was hundreds of thousands of dollars and took a day, uh, you know, weeks, most of a week, the days of a week to get through five, seven days to get everybody through. And we just said, well, why don't we just do what other agencies do? Uh, NFPA allows for it, do a mile and a half run. And so what happened was once we switched it to a mile and a half run, we could do it all in two days. And we purposely did it two days, like a weekday and a weekend to accommodate we tripled the number of female firefighters that came onto the job. And they would tell you, I was intimidated by that just because they didn't know, but I get put my ear pods on and I go to the gym and I run three miles every single day. It's no big deal to me. And so they did it. Now the back end is if you lose them during the Academy and the process, you got to understand that. But in our experience, we hired, you know, maybe a hundred firefighters, give or take 85 to a hundred. Um, we never lost one for physical ability, male, female, anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you lost them for skills, right? But yep. we lost males and females. So it had nothing to do with gender, it had to do yep. strictly with, you know, where they wired right. And yep. for some people, they can look good in interviews. They can have yep. great resumes and certificates, but they're claustrophobic. They're fear of heights. They can't, yep. they can't keep cognitive thought 
during high stress environments. And so we had to let him go. But that's just an example of where if you don't stop and kind of look, and I I learned that from Austin Fire and some other agencies to say, hey, that that is an artifact. That's an unnecessary barrier to entry right now. When I had thousands of people, it maybe made sense, but I don't have it anymore. I saved them hundreds of thousands of dollars and we tripled the number of females on the job with a great outcome at the end. So yeah. that's just an example of most agencies don't have time to do that. Yeah. But you have to consciously create time to do that. Goes to the saying is if it's important, you don't try to find the time somewhere. You make the time and you make it put the budget somewhere and you make it happen. So humility as leaders. You mentioned humble competency as leaders um, as a topic of conversation as far as you know the leadership philosophy of Chief Michael Despain. So talk about humility in leadership and how necessary it is. Yeah. Well, uh, I've, I've mentored, I don't know how many people I, I probably have about 15 people I work with right now and they're all aspiring, you know, chief officers, fire chiefs, you know, that kind of stuff. And, and I'll tell them that people don't care how much, you know, until they know how much you care. Mm -hmm. So you really have to have a servant's heart. And part of that is you got to be good at what you do. It's not about being a nice person. You still have to have competency of course. Um, we don't want nice firefighters that can't do the job. We want nice firefighters that can do the job. Absolutely. So, <laughs> but we don't want people that are arrogant. They think they're the, you know, the, the, <laughs> the greatest gift <laughs> to the yeah. fire service. Yeah. Uh, the egos don't fit in the door, that type of thing. So <laughs> what you find is if you want to be a good leader, you want to be a good company officer, a good chief officer. Your interview for that chief officer or company officer position started the day you walked in the door as a firefighter because yep. people are going to watch how you followed, what you did when the boss wasn't looking. Yep. They'll know who you are for real. And then when you model that behavior to say, hey, I, I really, the brotherhood and the sisterhood and teamwork really mean something to me. It's not just words I say. Then when you step into those roles, you'll have credibility. Now you still have to have competency mm -hmm. and that's fine. We want to work on it, but you also want to have some humility or be, be humble about it. Don't be bragging about yeah. it. Yeah. And here's a good example. I've been in the fire service uh, next month will be 39 years. Mm -hmm. I've been a lot of places. I've, I've done incident management teams. I've been to some of the biggest fires you could, you know, historical fires, wildland, Yellowstone, you know, whatever it is. Uh, but I'm not going to go around and brag about it. And the reason right. is because I've been in Redmond two years and I've learned a lot that I never knew. And I was in another agency, you know, prior to that. And I learned a lot of things I didn't for it's I'm never going to stop learning. Yep. And so to think I know it all would just be uh, it, I've, I've proven myself wrong that I don't know it all in, you know, almost 40 years in the fire service. If I'm still learning as much as I'm learning now don't ever think you know everything. So I, I just use that as an example to say, be competent, but be humble. Be humble. Yeah. The growth mindset habit. What I heard from all that is uh, you said be a servant leader. You said that probably three times. So I guess to our listeners, uh, being a servant leader and showing humility is a must to become well, a very highly effective leader. Here, here's a good way. You want to know how to be a good leader? Yes. Just think of who you've liked as a leader and who you didn't like as a yes. leader. Yeah, and I, have. and I had that, right. I, yeah, I had yeah. way more bad than good, yeah. <laughs> but I love that good when I saw it. Cause I recognized it right away. And yeah. so the idea is when you see bad behavior, think to yourself, I will never treat people. Exactly. I will never be that. And when yeah. you see good behavior, emulate it and say, I'm going to do more of that. In fact, 
try and get around many of those good leaders as you can and yeah. soak it up like a sponge that that's totally. that's what that's, that's what key. that means at the end of the day because yeah. people people want good leadership well and that's the thing is I, we've talked about that on this show too is uh, you can learn from good leaders and you can learn from bad leaders you know and sometimes yep. it's easier to learn from a bad leader because it's easier sometimes to just not do something than it is to try and do something. And of, of course I use sports analogy. Chief, you like, you like sports? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Um, there you go. Oh, that's right. Obviously. So it's like, you know, throwing a football 60 yards, like, you know, it'll take me a long time to practice to throw football 60 yards. So it might take me a long time to become the captain or the quarterback of the football team to be that leader, or I can just not do the bad behavior and that's also expressing good leadership. Just don't right. do the bad thing. So it's you can learn from all kinds of leadership, good and or bad. Um, this next piece here, Chief, is the piece that I am going to resonate with and we'll spend some time here is DEI. You're heavily into the DEI work. I have the fire service DEI improvement model, the seven steps. And we'll talk about that a little bit here. But before we just dive right into that, the good, the bad, and the misunderstood. I love that. So let's uh let's talk a little bit about that. We've had Speakers um, on this podcast several times talk about you know DEI. We talk about recruitment, hiring, retention, and you know belonging. You know psychologically safe environments. We've talked about all that plus more. Um, so I'm interested to see where uh, Chief Spade takes us on this journey of the good, the bad, and the misunderstood of DEI. Yeah. Well, uh, let me back up a little bit. I don't know that I would say that I'm heavy into the DEI. It's one of those things where I probably hardly even knew what it meant just a few years ago to the degree that it means today. I mean, I knew about uh, many, I knew about how to, the culture and the importance of treating people with respect. And do you really mean teamwork or is that just a word that you say uh, to sound tough? But, you know, as we got into DI, where it kind of spurred is that as a fire service leader, you always want to take time. Well, let me back up. You're always going to be a hundred percent busy. You're always going to be 110% busy, right? Doesn't yeah. matter what you do, how you arrange things. You'll just, as you become efficient, you'll fill it with something else. But if yep. you say, I know I'm going to be busy, but I'm going to cram this time to get my head above water and go look at what's going on. You'll be prepared for whatever's happening that, you know, is it, is it tax reform? Is it, you know, how billing is done on ambulance coming from the federal level? And, you know, there, you never know what's coming down the road. So you got to be ahead of it. So I saw the DEI process starting to come into the fire service and where I heard it was from the community first. Mm -hmm. And and you look at it and you say, we sometimes forget that we work for the community. Like they're our boss. Yes. Um, If it wasn't for them, we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be here. (laughs) I know agencies that got fired. They closed the fire department down and contracted with someone else because they didn't like them. Right. Yeah. So we can get over our skis a little bit on that. With that said is, I knew that was coming and I had worked with agencies about trying to, you know, get those systems set up. What happened was sometimes they come in and when you start that conversation, they're resistant to it because it came from corporate. It came from city hall and they tried to force it down their throat with a trainer that doesn't know what we do. They don't respect our tribal language, so to speak. And so the firefighters are naturally resistant. And once that spark of, oh, that's bad, then we, we, we're we an echo chamber sometime, then it's resistant, right? Yes, yes. And I, my argument is it did more harm than good. Mm-hmm. So then now we're at odds with the community. We're at odds with City Hall. We're at odds with the DEI instructor or whoever's doing it. We're, it. It just a disaster. 
But we can't ignore that the, it's a community expectation. If the community expectation said, I want all your fire engines to be pink. It is what it is, right? We can put up a little bit of resistance, but eventually those fire engines are going to be pink, yes. <laughs> right? Yes. So if they say that's what they want, then we we, we can't, you, you, you can yeah. believe what you want, but that's what the yeah. community expectation is. Yeah. And I always say that as a fire chief, you should always be ready to answer questions about your agency and where you're going. If they said, how, what's your response time? You know, how many lives did you save last year? What's, mm -hmm. you know, what's the value proposition back to me? If you can't explain it, you're not doing very good as a fire chief yes. and you should have an elevator pitch that you can give to your officers so they can, you don't have to know everything after memorize the standard of cover, but they need to do that. DEI is the same thing. So I had an agency I was working with. I was, I, I watched the fire chief go up to talk about the budget. So it's just a budget discussion, mm -hmm. but this is right after, you know, 2020 and okay. all the civil unrest that went through the country and the, and the council members are asking about what are you doing for DEI? Yep. It's not a hundred percent budget, but it's got a connection to the budget but you can tell they're not attacking him. Like you guys aren't doing anything with DI. What they're saying is help me explain to the community what you're doing. Yes. Now the agency was doing things. It wasn't like they weren't doing anything, but the chief's like, uh, I'm not really sure, but I'll have to get back to you. Well, that's what they've heard for the last five, 10, 12 years is yeah. Yeah, we're, we're working on it. We'll get back to you. They want numbers. They want proof. Mm -hmm. And if you can say, Hey, our number of female firefighters went from, uh, you know, the national average to three times the national average in the last 18 months. That's a mic drop. You could say we've improved diversity in every uh, census demographic, you know, available mic drop. Mm -hmm. But if you don't say that, it looks like we're just tone deaf. We're not listening to it. So yeah. that's where I got involved was to say, chiefs, <laughs> you yeah. got to start working on this. It's it's not going to be solved tomorrow, but you got to say the next days. Every year we're just doing a little bit better. Yes, the community will accept that. But yes. if you can't show them, prove to them, it's not a feel good thing. It's a got to prove it to them. Then you're going to be in trouble. So the seven step model was just designed with the idea of like someone's career or what's what's first, second, third, and fourth. You 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 might do them all, but it's kind of like this. Um, with an agency I was working with in the Midwest, very large agency, they were very uh, much under pressure for uh, their diversity within the ranks <clears throat> and highly controversial on all the news channels and whatever. The fire chief was just getting beat up uh, every time she went up to try and talk about what they're trying to do because they were not having it anymore. They, they were tired of talk, you know, mm -hmm. no more talk. So she went out and hired just absolutely nothing but a diverse 40 people, just nothing but diversity. I don't mm -hmm. think there was any white males in it. Right. And so we were talking and, and she would say, well, this is, this is what I did. And I was like, chief, no offense, but you just hired 40 nuclear bombs. Mm -hmm. And now you're going to put them in the stations because you got to work on culture. We need to, we yeah. need a fertile place for them to land. Yeah. Otherwise all they do is they get disenchanted and yes. treated bad. And then this is, how the fire service is and then they, they leave and they yep. sue you and you're, you're worse off than you were before. Yeah, so the model was designed to just say, do first things first, yep. then do this. And then the other things you can do how you want, but this is probably the priority of how they do. Yep. So all the yep. way from entry to exit. Absolutely. Well, I'm looking at the uh, fire service DEI improvement model that you have here. And I look at step four and I'm just going to read it here. Step four is remove unnecessary barriers, to the training processes, 
bring in the best trainers that understand adult learning and use adjunct instructors for specialty skills. So let's just throw it out there. Fire service isn't the best at that, right? Use the best trainers to understand adult learning. I mean, do we, I mean, in your experience, chief, do we use, do we utilize adult learning concepts in the fire service? And I bring that up because uh, Benjamin Martin, actually, we, we had a heavy conversation about this on this podcast, actually about adult learning, or do we just have instructors that are there because it's convenient and they're available versus in it? Because uh, let, let, let's, let's, let's just put it quite frank is fire fighters aren't teachers inherently, right? We're not, we're firefighters. We may promote up through the ranks. We get put in instructor roles because that's part of our job description. We got to be mentored. We got to lead, got to teach. But sometimes we aren't the best teachers, but yet we, we may not have had training in teaching or understanding the adult learning concept. Right. So I guess the question is, I love this step four, because you talk about these trainers need to understand adult learning. They have to embrace it, learn it, be it. But can we improve in this arena? And if so, how? Well, again, part of this is it's a it's a cultural issue. So for some agencies, and I think you mentioned it, it's the uh, hey, who's the lowest person? On, you're going into training, and you're going to train these people. Like I don't want right. to do it. You're making me do it, and so it it's hard to do it right away. But over time, you can do this. And I've done it in agencies where we made it to where people in those training functions became coveted. Like yes. they would they would they would stand in line six deep for the opportunity to do that because we told them. You're going to change the culture. I'm going to support you. I'm going to support extra professional development. At the end of the day, when you go for promotion, you're going to come in with bonus points, <laughs> objectively measured. Did you do time and training? You get extra points because you did time and training. Um, and it's not just check the box. You got to be there long enough to, sure. you know, make, but, but the issue is we turned it into that special team. Like I could be on the truck. I could be on hazmat, but I want to go into training. Train. And yeah. once you change that, it helps because now they're not going in as the the drill sergeant and yelling at recruits. It's like, look, <laughs> this is a dangerous job and I want to teach you how to survive and do your job well. And you can make all the mistakes you want here. This is a safe place. You just can't make the same mistake 10 times in a row. Absolutely. But if, but if we struggle once or twice and then you master it and we do something else you struggle once or twice as long as we can keep mastering that skill with a yes. reasonable amount of time it's okay um okay. and so we take the pressure off to say it's not about survivor island and you know put your torch out and you're out yeah. Yeah. and we take pride in like yeah i kicked out three rookies you know it's yeah. like yeah. no those are hundred thousand dollar losses to us I, you know yeah, we're great. we're not going to buy fire engines and get pay raises this year uh because we un we got rid of them unnecessarily yeah. so that's a cultural change. Yes. takes a little while to get there, but I've seen the power of that um, down the road because now teaching is now valued in the organization. And Absolutely. That, so, that, that can't be just the chief. That's a, that's a teamwork. Have you been part of organizations the, where? Well, I would just say the unnecessary barriers, the example, the CPAT was just an, an example. It yeah. might be necessary for some agencies. Right now, I bet for most, it may be unnecessary. And in, in our case in Redmond, we just offer both. You can yeah. do either. Yeah. So we didn't get rid of it. Just yeah. whatever. That's the thinking that you want to do for number four. Yeah, absolutely. And so let me lean on a little bit because I love the concept of what you just said about, in, 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 for example, the training division. But we'll, utilize, we'll use any example of any committee, training division, um, specialty assignment, whatever. How do we – it's kind of a rhetorical question, but – I kind of want your your uh, perspective on it. 
how do we get it so when a specialty assignment shows up? You know, obviously, historically, firefighters didn't, you know, get in the fire service to work a day shift position, right? You know, it's, let's just sit here and be honest, whether people admit it or not. The schedule's awesome, right? Let's work a day, off for a few days, work a day, do a shift trade, off for a week or two. That's an amazing schedule. But how do we get it to where you know, a training division or specialty assignment or day shift spot opens up and you have 25 people lined up? I want that versus like what you said, no one wants it. All right, you're going in. Uh, you're the lowest person in seniority. Uh, you may not be the right person for this position, meaning, uh, you know, this is a position where you need to be, you know, put your face in front of everybody. You got to teach, got to mentor. That may not be you, right, wrong, or indifferent, but because no one else wanted it, it's you. How do we solve that issue with, we want these things to be highly coveted. We want the right person for the right job. That way we can push the mission forward and basically get to where we want to be. Well, you have to incentivize it, but the incentivization doesn't always have to be money. Right. Money helps. Money will help a little bit. Um, money will maybe inspire a few extra people to look at it. But I would just say this, people that are, you know, really committed to the fire service and to the organization in general, you know, they're usually looking a few steps down the road and they're like, I want to be a better chief officer, company officer. It's like, well, then do this. And if you incentivize it, and I'll just use this example, this is just what I did, where we, we paid them some extra money, we, we upgraded their vehicle, so they got assigned a nice vehicle, we accommodated their schedule, like, do you want to work a 410, do you want to take Wednesdays off, do you want to flex it when your family's got something going on, so you could, you know, it doesn't have to be 8 to 5, Monday through Friday, all the time, it's about getting the job done, and sometimes we have night drills, like you want to switch your shift and do night drills, and we we would do that. Um, you guys would in Washington state, you talk about state mobilization. Some people have interest in that. We said, other than these core areas, like when you got this training event or an academy, you can't go. Yeah. But other than that, you're the first to go because you don't need relief and I'll send you all day long. So that's your benefit. So there were people that were chomping at the bit because two, three, four of those items appealed to them. And then down the road, once they saw that the people that get promoted all did time and training. Eventually the word gets out. Like there's no way you're going to compete with those guys. Cause they, they've done time and in, in, in staff, it didn't have to be training. could be right. prevention, could be whatever, yeah. but we valued staff time. And when you do your testing process, I wouldn't surprise it. We, we let them know down the road that these people are going to get preferential treatment down the road. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it wasn't just that it was some other things. Yeah. A good example would be, when you look at the ratio of how you, when you test and you say, I want uh, in basket, I want a, a scenario, operational scenario, and I want to interview panel, professional, whatever it is. And you, you balance that out over time. We've slowly moved the operational piece very low, mm -hmm. still there, still got to pass it. But we emphasize all those other things that we've talked about say, that's the rate. Like, what have you done in the past? What proved to me you've done things that better the organization outside of just show up and run calls. And we're not trying to devalue calls. Right. What we're saying is that I know, it's <laughs> my theory, is that when you are past your test and you get into your job and even past promotion, you will always concentrate on your operational capabilities for the rest of your career. Yep. And the reason is because you don't want to mess up on a fire mm -hmm. and get a blast of baloney from all you other inferior firefighters. So we have take a lot of personal pride and we protect that pride and ego with being good at the operational piece. Mm -hmm. But if the agency doesn't train for 
mentor, test, and evaluate the people skill side of it and yes. the maybe the softer side of it. That's where they get in trouble with lawsuits, grievances, discipline, bad morale, bad culture. People don't want to leave. They're suing the place. It's just a disaster, right? So when we look at that, we say those people that are going to be better officers are the ones that can think five moves ahead. I'm going to go into training because I think I want to be a chief officer, but I just don't want a chief officer for the badge. I want to do a good job along the way. Mm -hmm. And then what happens is sometimes they do it. And it was such a positive experience, then they stay longer. And then other people are mad because they're like, well, I want to, I mean, that's where you build that. They're fighting over the job. That's a good place to be for the agency. I love it. So basically you got to work up and build up a culture to where that is a highly coveted position all the way across the board. Right. I mean, so it's funny you mentioned that because I I, I hear a lot of Eric Rossoff in there, uh, the administrative side versus the operational side, like you said, operational. Yeah. You know, and you look at promotions, right. When, when there's a promotional process coming up, you know, everyone's like, oh, let's study for tactics. And it's like people will gravitate and want to learn the operational side of things. And she, uh, Lieutenant Rossoff talks about operational pushups. How many of those are you doing? You're probably doing 100. Are you doing any administrative people skill, soft skill pushups in his right. metaphorical way? And it's like, well, are you? And if the question is no, it's like, well, you look at the statistics, right? 70% of the time you're not on a call but you're training 95% of the time on what you're doing less of the time. So um, I love that piece because it's just a reiteration in my mind. I look at step five on this DEI improvement model, and I love this piece. And I'm curious to where this is going to go, how you're going to answer this. It says integrate DEI questioning into testing processes. Now, is that at the new higher level and at the promotional level? And if so, uh, what uh, what what kind of questioning are you uh, is is the intent there? Well, uh, anytime you look at a test, if you don't like what you're getting, like if the result is not that good, and you keep seeing it, <laughs> go back and look at your testing process and look what you're testing for. Yeah. On the entry level test, it may not be. Um, here, here's a good example of what we might grade, not necessarily just ask for. So the question might be you know, tell us of your experience of working with diverse cultures and diverse people and different genders and that kind of stuff, just to see if they've got a little bit of experience and how they kind of relate that. That might be a question. Um, But we might say, hey, extra points if you speak a foreign language. Because if they speak a foreign language, then the, the, you know, the assumption is that they probably have been exposed. You know, there's your proof that they've been exposed to different culture and they'll bring that benefit on on the on incidents and we have people that speak ukrainian russian german spanish you know indian they they speak everything so we we like that now not everybody does that but the sprinkling gets deeper and deeper as time goes by for promotions though um if you say dei is important for the agency but you don't ask any questions related to it then how were you serious or it was just lip service you know so uh we say you got to roll something in there, even if it's not truly to me, DEI is maybe the misunderstood is what DEI really is. And so people say, Oh, DEI. And they, they might get that automatic kind of pushback that something someone's trying to shove down my throat. Mm -hmm. And it often is. So I'm saying that's not necessarily a good thing, but a good example is if I said that you talk about, you know, inclusion and they might not, that, that word may seem, mean one thing to another but if i said i like being part of a team do you like feeling like you're part of a team absolutely then, don't we all right 
I, we just solved inclusion right there. Done. Yeah. yeah. But we just changed the conversation to brotherhood, sisterhood. We, we've been talking inclusion forever, like brotherhood, sisterhood, right? Yeah. Do we really mean it? Right. <laughs> or are we just saying it? And, yeah. the, you know, you can kind of call them out on it, but that's just a good example of where we would say, Hey, how would you get your crew to, to welcome? Tell me, describe how you would welcome new members to the organization, yeah. especially members of different backgrounds and experiences. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. And if they go, oh, I don't know, they're just going to clean dishes and clean yeah. toilets like everybody else. It's like, well, yeah, but I mean, is there anything else you're going to, yeah. you know, buy I love lunch it. or take them out or just yeah. introduce them to the crew? I mean, what are you going to do? I mean, yeah, the, right. right or wrong is just, do you have a plan? It's right. not going to grade the plan, but exactly. No, I love it. Are you proactive and intentional about it or are you reactive and passive about it? And that if it's important, it's, you know, we'll, we'll yeah. embrace it. We'll ask the question. And no, I love that piece. And um, it, it, the fact that it's, like you said, if it's important, we will look for it and ask it. And if we don't, but it's in your strategic plan or priorities, but you don't actually ask it amongst your members or empower the members of it, it wasn't yeah. just words on a document. More yeah. or less. Go ahead. Well, let me let me help with this. This yes, is going to empower some of your people. So if you're in a fire district, you have way more authority to kind of move money and do what you want to do, right? But if you're in an agency that's, you know, a, a county, local government type agency where you, you're kind of dealing with city managers and mayors and that kind of stuff, one of the issues we see is that they will talk about DEI all day long and they'll want to push it in the, and DEI is an issue. But if they never give you money for it, you know, that's that other piece where we're kind of in the middle or like you say you want it, but you're not no, doing, you know, yeah. you're, it's all talk. And so what we try and do is say, Here's what we could do without money. Here's yep. what we could do with money. So yep. if we come back and you don't like where the results are, you just want to be on the record using the model to say, here's where we could be with money. Here's where we are without. You chose without. So we've met everything we could do without. <laughs> and, and sometimes that helps with you if you're trying to fund these endeavors. That's right. just one strategy to think about. No, and I, and I love that piece because there's a ceiling to it. Is there work that can be done without money with DEI? Absolutely. But yeah. there's a ceiling, just like anything else. Can, can you do more work with DEI when there's money? Absolutely. So it's uh, it depends on where you want, what level of work you want and the intentionality on what you're going to put forward. So I guess a question I have, Chief, is, and share if you can, and obviously don't if you can't. Um, does Redmond uh, specifically and or the other agencies that you've been a part of over the last, we'll just say five to 10 years, put money behind intentional work with DEI? They do. Um, yeah. What I would say is we don't always get the amount of money we ask for. Sure. Yeah. Like any budget, right? <laughs> yep. uh, but what we do do is we have a tracking mechanism where we could show, uh, you know, during the last year or so, we uh, we had zero line item for DEI, but we yep. still committed <clears throat> about $90,000 towards DEI endeavors. Wow. And so we could, we were prepared to say, even though we don't get any money for it, we're still trying to make it work. And we would say, sometimes that's couch change that you, yes. you know, lose couch change to make it work. This is what we could have done. This is what we think we could done with, you know, additional funding. And so um, we do do that. Um, but sometimes remember DEI doesn't have to be specific to line item DEI, it could be inclusive. So a good example is we would spend about $80,000 uh, on our budget for the outside trainers, Career Survival Group, Benjamin yes. Martin. We've had uh, someone come in and teach data and statistics. Um, we have people coming in to do report writing, better report writing, tactical speaking, you know, those things. 
that all had any one of those you look at, they all relate back yes, down into do. your DEI efforts. Yes, they do. They're great for making better firefighters and better officers. We're killing two birds with one stone. So it's not like it has to be this for that. There's a little bit of overlap, but yes. we would say is when we asked for the money, it was like, it helps with this too. <laughs> and I think that's why we were successful getting it. I'm glad to hear it. Uh, let's go to the hot topic because this is exactly what we're talking about here as well. I, I know DEI is a hot topic for many. I've been in conversations where we'll start going down the path of DEI and let's just call it what it is. So the people will get up and start walking out of the room. So let's go with this. A community doesn't care about DEI when calling 911, but they do before and after. That was a topic you wanted to kind of mention. So let's talk about that. What What, what does that mean? Well, it's more of like if you divide all the stuff that we do up into, and a lot of times we overemphasize the emergency piece. And I'm not saying that's wrong, but we do a lot of emphasis on that. I've heard some chiefs say, and they're right. When you dial 911, no one cares about diversity. Like when the fire is going, like they don't look at, hey, there's not enough of this or that. They're like, put the fire out. No one cares about that. But every other time besides that, they're now they now care about it. So you can't ignore it. It's it's a it's a serious thing that you have to be prepared for. And it's not about perfection. It's not about DEI solved. You're, there's no solving. It's done. It's yes. it's it's a journey. But the point is that um, if you can help with the chief officers, the leadership labor group. That group of firefighters that feel like they're being pushed out say, we're not trying to take away anything from anybody. I like being part of a team. You like being part of a team. What we want to do is remove barrier, unnecessary barriers to entry. So everybody's got a fair shot at the job. Still got to do the job. Still need competency. Yes. But let's hire great people. And they may not necessarily look like you and I, but it wasn't because we tried to cram some demographic down your throat right. we just said there was a barrier that kept them out we removed the barrier because it wasn't necessary yes and now they're in now let's just in. welcome them yes agreed um let's, let's just let me, treat them like you would want to be treated yes well let me lean on that a little bit so um a common uh thing that i've heard was uh you know when it, because we've let's say removed a barrier and we've invited a, just a, a group or other people to come on in it's taking away from the opportunities of others <laughs> And in which I heavily disagree with that. When we talk about, you know, because you hear this term a lot, I'm sure, Chief, is we're just, we're, we don't care what people look like, where they come from. We just want the best firefighter, right? We've all heard that. But is that a true statement in what they're saying? So what I mean by that is I also am looking for the best colleague, the best firefighter, the next lieutenant to work side by side. I, I, I too, and even as a community and a citizen member and a taxpayer, I also want the best firefighter working for the agency that, that, uh, that serves right. my community. But without the removal of barriers, we, in fact, that's an inaccurate attempt, meaning there's barriers out there. So we, in fact, can't find the quote unquote best candidate, right? Because that best candidate might be somewhere where there's a barrier that's preventing them to even get in. And so I believe when we do the removal of barriers, like you said, when we're inviting everyone to come in for a chance and equal and equitable opportunity for the fire service, then we're truly looking for the best candidate because we've removed those barriers. And I think that's, that's, I believe that's kind of where we're going. And another thing I've heard is, you know, we, we're trying to lower standards and I, 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 I look at that and it's like, well, I look at it as we're trying to raise the standards when we're trying to diversify our workforce because we're trying to add value. 
Yeah. And so I don't, I, so it's just, I guess it's a, I mean, what are your thoughts on that chief? Well, the, the first part of it is when they say we want the best, we would say, absolutely. We want the best. Right. We want the best, <clears throat> but the best is not the people that can throw the ladder in 30 mm-hmm. seconds. If the standard is a minute, the standard is a minute. It's a minute. We're not lowering the standards. We may not get the rock star who can do it in 30 seconds, but the right. standard's a minute and they'll still meet it. But I don't want the guy that does it in 30 seconds and is an egomaniac exactly. that is trouble in the station. I want the person that can do everything, meet all the standards exactly the way we did it before, not lowering the standards. But what I want them to do is I want them to connect well in the station and well in the community. And the people you think are the best, don't put the fire out any faster than, because it's a teamwork. I need the yes. whole team, yes. uh, but they don't connect with the community. So you're right. no good to me. Right. I want the, I need the firefighter, yes. but I want the firefighter that do, connects with the community, the one that doesn't. I want yes. the one that does. Absolutely. We all win with that one. You want pay and benefits and shiny engines and fancy yes. stuff is have trust from the community. Absolutely. When they lose trust and DEI is one of those things where we most agencies lost some trust. They're they're questioning. You now are at a disadvantage on some of the things that you think you want as a firefighter. So yeah. you're hurting yourself. So yeah. um, we would just say sometimes our job as chief officers and leaders is to save people from themselves. I agree. Um, the difference, though, I think, is that now, as in just like in your agency, where you have a group of people that are involved, in this it's not from the top down. It's organic. It's from the bottom up. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to do a better job of erasing some of that resistance or at least tamping it down because now that'll be the minority of people that are having those thoughts. And the new people coming in are saying, look, I, I just want to be part of the team. I want people that treat me with respect. I want to treat them with respect. I want to come to work without a pit in my stomach. Yeah. And if they can't throw the ladder in 30 seconds, I'm good with it as long as they can still do it in a minute everybody wins. Exactly. Totally agree. It's about expanding. What I've always looked at is it, 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 we're trying to add value to an organization where we may not have a value, you know, again, you mentioned uh, speaking a language. If an individual is, you know, multilingual, for example, and we don't have, but we have a community that, you know, speaks, you know, 30% speaks, you know, this language. It's not so much that you are only going to hire someone that can speak that language. No, you want an individual that can meet the standard, like you're saying, and it's an added benefit if they are multilingual because it serves that community. Yes, the person could still throw the ladder in a minute. They're not going to throw the ladder in 18 seconds like this other individual. But we're trying to – it's like building a team. What's the point of drafting two quarterbacks in the first round with your first round draft pick? You, you don't need two quarterbacks. You're trying to fill your organization, if you will, with a bunch of assets that's going to provide a better value at the end. And so that's kind of how I look at it. Let's go to the rapid fire chief, the coffee cup off. I love this piece because this gives us tangible items for our leaders, our future leaders, our incoming leaders and firefighters uh, to start doing something that chief Despain recommends that these individuals, you know, let's do this today. Uh, the first group individuals uh, chief that I would like you to kind of maybe talk to uh, newer firefighters, recruits, probationary firefighters, apprentices. What's something in your mind chief that you would recommend they could start doing today to grow as leaders? Well, I'm going to use that humble competency throughout all the rapid fire. And the point is that you need to be competent in your job, but you don't need to be arrogant about it. And then if you are interested in promotion and you want to do other ranks, 
the test for it starts the day you walk in the door. It's not when you master this one and then you look at that way. You're you're technically working on two things at once. I want to be the best firefighter I can, and that should be your priority. But I'm also carrying myself in terms of behavior and character and my how I treat other people in the sense that this is what I want. I want them to respect me so that I can be a, a better leader down the road. You don't want to be a leader because you have collar brass. Right. You could take the collar brass off. They'll, they'll follow you because they trust you. Yeah. Um, but that starts at, as a young firefighter. And, and even day one, even though we don't always recognize it, it's just that you're always being watched. Yeah. So. I mean, you start being a leader once you decide you want to promote or are you a leader all along? And then you just happen to promote because it's your time kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, how about the emerging leader, Chief? How about whether it be a, an aspiring company officer um, or just newer company officer overall? What's something that those groups can do starting today now to start growing their leadership arsenal? Yeah. One of the things I always say is uh, don't let the agency dictate your pace of growth because sometimes they restrictions and collective bargaining agreements and rules, sometimes they can't always get you all the training and exposure that you want. Um, So you got to control your own destiny and think of it as you should be taking a little bit of the money you make and just kind of investing it back in yourself. Mm. The beauty, the beautiful piece of that is once you do it, you know, the government can't take it. No one can take it from you. Right. The sooner you do it, the more years of uh, return you have on it. But that is that piece where you want to get exposed to leaders outside of just your umbrella not always just national leaders, but people that are experts in different fields and not just fire service. You know, some of the best lessons I learned were people that learned, you know, rules of like negotiation mm-hmm. and how to deal with e- emotional intelligence and how to do tactical speaking in the field and yes. uh, how to keep cognitive thought during, you know, crisis events, those kind of things. So those weren't fire service people that taught that, right. but they were fascinating and it was helpful. But what I would say is if you say, okay, now I'm going to take control of my future and I'm going to let the agency help me as much as it can, but I'm not going to let it limit me. I'm going to yes. expand that. You'll go farther. And here's the problem with the fire services. We want leaders with a skill set that we never tested for when they came in. We screened those people out. Yes. We screened the best, maybe strategic thinkers out. Maybe. Yes. Maybe. maybe people that could, you know, throw ladders and yeah, say. space, right? Yeah. So uh for the lack of a better term, we 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 had the 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 grunts is what we hired to do hard work. Yeah. And then of that pool of people, we find these diamonds in the rough and we pull them up into officers and maybe chief officers and maybe fire chiefs. Yeah. But the reality is the applicant pool for those would be much wider if we didn't restrict it to this. Yes. But we do. And I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying that's a limiting factor. Yes. So if you want to be one of those diamonds in the rough, go get shiny, Yes, <laughs> you know, shine yourself up. So go to the, go to conferences, go connect yeah. with groups, be outside just your world. Yes. Immediate world. Um, it will help you. I'm going to, I'm going to throw a crazy concept out there, chief. Absolutely crazy. Right. Uh, would you say it would be okay and not only just okay, but necessary for an individual to just go spend $500, $1,000 a year, $2,000 a year, their own money to go seek out, leadership training or any kind of skills training to better themselves outside of what the organization provides for them. Right. Is that, is that just a crazy concept? If you're strategic and serious, I would say yes. And in, in my example, I had very little help from agencies I work for. And a lot of those investments I did early on have paid a thousand times over. 
just thousands. I mean, and I'm, you know, till, till the last day I'm on this earth, right. I'm, you know, I got a nice pension that's based on achievements that were made early on in my career. Those investments are paying dividends for a yes. long time. So, yeah. and I love that piece. Thank you for bringing that up. That's it's uh, you've heard it all the time, you know, whether it be from the labor side, admin side, right, wrong, or indifferent, right? Everyone has the right intent, right? You know, everyone hopes that everyone will, you know, aspire to be the best firefighter or employee for that organization. Some organizations will have a budget behind supporting people to go to X amount of classes. Some don't, but don't let that be a limiting factor in your own development. If you have to go out and spend $500 for that year, is that it's pennies in regards to dividends, like you're saying, paying off, 30, 40 years down the road. So I love that piece. So there's the tip for the emerging leaders. Basically go out there, spend the $500, $1,000, $2,000, and just better yourself. Don't wait, right? Don't wait. Uh, finally, let's talk about the the chief officers, chief established leaders, senior members of organizations. What's one thing that those chief officers and hired can do to you know become better leaders or even foster a culture of leadership within their organization? One is don't act like you know everything. <laughs> But when you have questions that you need to ask that may be vulnerable, have a nice network outside the agency that you can reach out to safely, you know, the phone a friend. And the reality is, even as chiefs, we we don't know everything and you never will. And so you, you want to be careful about who you ask questions to, play your cards a little bit close sometimes, but you got to have a network of people that you can help with. And there's value in that in the sense that and I tell up and coming chief officers, especially ones that want to be the fire chief, is I would tell them, you you never want to be seen by the agency as you're the chief, but this is the pinnacle of your career. Like you made it by the skin of your teeth and you're barely holding on. If you have that network and you're exposed to national framework and state and just you have this network wider than you and you bring those skills and that information back and you're, you know, the competency still has to be there. What happens is then they see you as that person could go anywhere, but they're choosing to lower themselves, I guess. Mm-hmm. Not the right way to say it, but they're choosing to limit themselves to make the most of their attention here for us. But they could go wherever they want to go and they could go help someone else. So we're glad they're here. You want that perception. And the only way to do it is earn it. Yeah, earn <laughs> you it. can't fake it. You got to legit have a network and go help other people and you know be that servant leader at a state, national, county level or whatever. Oh, servant leader. There it is again. Servant leader. I love it. Uh, so I'm going to throw this out there, Chief. So um, 11 different agencies. was a chief or interim chief um, for six different agencies, 39 years almost in the fire service. You were probably uncomfortable along the way, switching agencies, moving yourself, moving your family, working for agencies um, from different states all across the country. You were probably uncomfortable at some point or many points in your career. We talk about this all the time on the podcast. Would Chief Despain be Chief Despain if he did not intentionally put himself in uncomfortable positions to grow? No. I, a couple times were gambles. Um, sure. We would call them adventures to, yeah. you Love know, that. that's a safer word. But Spinning, I will yeah. I, I will say this. So there's two two points to my story. One is that I believe that there, I've I, I, I believe there is a creator God that takes care of us and that every place I went was where I was supposed to be. And sometimes it took 20 years to figure out why did that happen the way it did? And it's like, I would have never been here 
and it's sure. it's a seven degrees of bacon, whatever yeah. you want to call it. It yeah. how I got here and where my connections, and so that's one. Number two is that I would encourage everyone to just make sure your financial house is in order. I think I was a better chief when I was a little financially independent. Not that I'm rich. I have freeloaders that still hang out with me <laughs> um, almost off the payroll, but they're but they're close. But the point is very early on, and I, and I grew up in poverty, was never given anything. I, I earned everything I worked hard for. But what I would say is that having my financial house in order and understanding taxes and things like that helped me in a place where I wasn't nervous about getting fired and like I, I i didn't have to make a morally compromising decision because mm -hmm. i wasn't going to put food on the table i could keep the moral high ground even if i was going to take some shots at it because in some cases like if you fire me i'll just go somewhere else so yeah. i'm going to stand my ground on this one and make sure we do the right thing for the agency and so that made me a better leader I think that helped with, you know, networking and reputation and those kind of things. I certainly slept better at night knowing yeah. I could not compromise on some of those things that I held dear to my heart in terms of advocating and yeah. protecting your fight. You know, they drive you nuts sometimes, but they're like your kids. <laughs> like you drive me nuts, but if someone touches my kids, man, I'm, yes. yeah. I'm all defensive. Like, hey, leave my Absolutely. kids alone, man. Yeah. Uh, so those are my two things. And and that's not just for chief officers. That's for firefighters. For chief officers in particular. Uh, get your house in order. Thank you, Chief. So um, we go to my favorite part of the episode. It's the leadership challenge. So obviously we're here today uh, because you took uh, Lieutenant uh, Eric Rossoff for the Career Survival Group, took him up on his leadership challenge um, to continue to help us further the leadership conversation. Uh, we've gone across the country as far as New Jersey and Virginia. We've gone down south, you know, to California. We've gone to Sacramento, Oregon, and obviously uh, locally here in the Pacific Northwest. This podcast is only as successful as the people that are willing to come on to share their philosophy or message on leadership. So first and foremost, thank you, Chief, for uh, sharing your message today. If you uh, wouldn't mind, is there someone out there that you believe would have a message, a philosophy, where our listeners could benefit from a conversation with an individual that may take uh, take on a leadership challenge by Chief to Spain? Well, if you can get him, uh, I think the one in, in you, uh, a bunch of the names I would have thrown out, you, you're already interviewing. So you're already grabbing some of the cream <laughs> of the crop there. Um, but the one that I did throw out, I, I think if you can get him, it would be the one and I'd be happy to help set it up if you want is Benjamin May, Ben May. Um, yeah. Ben was a former commissioner with Woodenville. This is way back in the day. Um, but he is an absolute heartfelt, you know, fire buff. He absolutely loves the fire service, but he was never in the fire service, but he has the most intense love for it. And he was a very high ranking executive in the Disney corporation and, you know, was lived in Paris when, you know, Disney mm. Paris opened and in Florida at the Epcot, where there was the fire, there was a whole exhibit on firefighting and whatever he designed that they gave him free reign to do that. He's very uh, well known in the fire service. He writes lots of fire service related articles, but he's a civilian, mm -hmm. but he does know marketing like no one's business. And he blew my mind with the things that he thought the fire service would do. Chief officers should do things. I had never heard from the fire service and I'd never heard from a chief officer. And I took those to heart and uh, we connect every once in a while and stuff. And to this day, I'll tell him, I think I am where I am with, with a couple of different mentors, but the, I mean, I was a presentation. I went to me presented for 30 minutes and walked off the stage and blew my mind. Yeah, so. uh, that's amazing. And perspective is everything. I don't know if I've mentioned that on this podcast. So we 
We had actually the mayor of Issaquah on the show um, a month or so ago, and uh, that was actually Chief Clark's leadership challenge. And we, we, you know, so with Ben May not being in the fire service specifically, it's about perspective, right? It's about um, leadership is, it doesn't happen in a vacuum. Leadership is not, you know, specifically only to the fire service leaders, but it's everywhere. So I'm sure Ben May would, uh, would bring on a high value to our listeners. And yeah, if we can connect with them, that'd be awesome. And if not, obviously everyone's busy, but we like to, we like to throw the invite out there for anyone willing to share. Well, you got to grab Chief Shepherd at some point in time. Well, Chief Shepard, uh, we we exchanged emails um, a few weeks yeah. or a month or so ago, and uh, he actually is willing. But I yeah. think you beat him to the punch. You, well, you're, the you're, secret you're... is just go to his admin assistant and just put on the counter. He won't ah. just show up. He he there just goes go. where they tell him to go because he's there so busy. Go. He wouldn't know. So we, we'll look you up. So okay, thank you so much. So uh, we'll informally say uh, Chief Shepard is also a challenge of Chief yeah. of Spain. So um, let's go here um, yeah, before we close. Uh, lasting leadership thoughts. Uh, from chief to Spain before we close. Well, I would just say the the fire service is going to continue to change the community expectation, you know, diversity, climate change, whatever it is. The point is uh, we, we as the fire service need to learn who we work for and respect the fact that our, our boss may have a changing mission for us. And it's okay to <clears throat> push back a little bit and, and, have our perspective, but at the end of the day, we got to be good soldiers and remember they're the customer and we're the service provider. And if you can't remember that, you're in the wrong job. Thank you, Chief. We'll close right. and then uh, we'll chat on the side a little bit. So thank you everybody for tuning in today to the kitchen table. We truly hope that you found this time valuable and we hope that we've inspired you to take action, to lead and to spread the leadership conversation. Until next time, be safe, be intentional and stay curious. 